In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. There's often times where I've heard it uh, growing up, and I think some of you guys might have heard it too, where people will say something along the lines of how they wish they were around when Jesus was walking on this earth as a man in Palestine, and how they wish they heard what he taught and saw the miracles that he did. Because if they saw and heard those things, their faith would be so much stronger. It would be so much easier to believe. It would be so much easier to be a good Christian because of how much easier they would be convinced. And I understand that feeling because obviously that would be an awesome thing to see. That would be an amazing thing to see, to hear Jesus, to see him do his miracles, to cure people, to see him teaching in the temple. All those things would be great. However, for us who are existing 2,000 and some years later, there's something important that we cannot fall asleep to. Because you and I have a unique way of participating with Jesus today. You and I have been given something that those people who did see Jesus in person didn't necessarily have in the same way we have it now. Brothers and sisters, what we have now in its mature form, even though it's continuing to progress in this world, is the church. And today, as we celebrate the Feast of Pentecost, we ought to remember and be thankful for this fact. The entire Old Testament was structured around a common goal of God's chosen people, which was to have God dwelling among them, for them to invite God to dwell among them in the way that they lived, righteously and according to the laws of God and according to the covenants that he made with them through his representatives and through the prophets. That was the ongoing struggle. And there was many times where they failed at this mission, whether it was the Jews themselves or even some of their leaders like Moses and King David. Sin after sin, idolatry after idolatry, it was a lifelong struggle for them walking through a desert to reach a promised land where they would obtain it not for the sake of political reasons or to have political power or something like that, but to have an area designated to be holy, an area designated for righteous worship of God. That is the primary goal of the Jews being God's chosen people in the Old Testament. And that, brothers and sisters, is our primary goal as Christians continuing that tradition as it has been fulfilled through Christ and the new covenant he established with us. There's one place in the Old Testament where the words new covenant are mentioned, and only one place, and that is in Jeremiah's prophecy, his famous prophecy in Jeremiah 31, where he introduces this idea of a new covenant. And in that prophecy he says, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. This dwelling of God within our hearts, this prophecy, has come true now in the age of the new covenant, in the time where Jesus has signed off on the new covenant with the breaking of his body and the shedding of his blood. And by that, and by our participation in that more accurately, we have been given the Holy Spirit through our baptism to become sons and daughters of God, as St. Paul says, especially in his letter to the Romans. So how, again, do we become sons and daughters of God? Through our baptism, 
How exactly? Because the washing of baptism purifies, sacramentally purifies us from the stain of original sin, where original sin was incurred by violating God's goodness, by disagreeing with God fundamentally, by saying, no thanks, we'll do things on our own. We can look at Adam and Eve to see how exactly that played out. So baptism removes that stain. Baptism restores a right relationship between us to continue. And then we have the opportunity to continue in that relationship or to continue rejecting and forsaking that relationship by sinning, by preferring our will as opposed to God's will, by thinking it's best to give in to our desires and emotions rather than to look at the Son, the template, the example of holiness and seeing what actually makes us happy. The Holy Spirit, just to explain for anyone that's not familiar, is this. God is pure love, and pure love emanates. It gives of itself. Some of us might have experienced that at some points in our lives when we're in a good mood. It's just in our nature to give of ourselves to people. It's in our nature to help. It's in our nature just to give time away to other people, to see what other people need. Well, God is that in pure form, in infinite form. Something we'll never understand because our brains are just finite. We have a limited existence. But God is love infinitely. And so because he's loved infinitely, he looks at his lost children. He sees what they're in need of, and that's in need of salvation from sin. Because we can't cure ourselves of the debt that we put on ourselves with sin. So God loves us so much that he pours himself forth, takes on flesh, and becomes man. And that son, who is the man, loves his father so much, and, uh, and us so much, that he gives his life fully completely for the sake of our sins, to pay the debt of that sin that we commit, not just once or twice, but on a regular basis. So he loves his father so much vertically, and he loves us so much horizontally, making a beautiful shape of a cross. That's why we say love takes the shape of the cross. The Holy Spirit is the love that exists between the Father and the Son, because their love is so powerful, so infinite, so much, that it forms a third person and thus a trinity. That's the Holy Spirit. Again, will we ever understand exactly how that works? Not really, it's not empirical science, but we can understand it to some extent and more importantly, appreciate it and let ourselves be transformed by it. And how? Again, taking our baptism seriously, living in a way where it's not just me or I, but we, because God exists as we. And if you and me are going to live in God's household and we're going to abide by his rules because we know they're for our own good, then we're going to become a little bit more like our father. Just like if you're in your, the household of your earthly mom, make you a little as live anti-individualistically, which means not for ourselves, which means always in communion with one another and with God, and thus loving ourselves in a healthy way. So that means the church is not a place for only private faith. There's no such thing in the church as I'm gonna pray at home and that's enough. Not to Jesus, maybe to you, but not to Jesus. There's no such thing as private theology. I'm gonna think whatever I want despite what the church is teaching. In a few moments, we're all gonna get up and I'm gonna face you, the com you all, the community, and together we're gonna profess our faith in the creed. 
If there's any time, not just today, but ongoing throughout the rest of our lives where we don't understand the teaching of the church, there's a responsibility that we have to take as baptized sons and daughters of God. And that responsibility is to come forward humbly and with love and ask, where is this teaching coming from? How has it been passed down since the time of the apostles? How can I incorporate it into my life? How should it change me to make me more holy? That's what it means to be part of the family of the church. And what it also means to be part of the family of the church, brothers and sisters, is to turn away from sin most fundamentally, more importantly than anything, and turn towards God by knowing Him more and loving Him more, and thus knowing our neighbor more and loving our neighbors more. If we ever get sick through sin, if we ever injure the body of Christ that we're all a part of because of this church that has been given birth on this day of Pentecost, there's a room in this church and in all of our churches, a clinic where we can go to expose our wounds and to get the medicine that we need, which is the blood of Christ, the forgiveness that comes from the blood of Christ to reconcile ourselves back with this house of God. Confession even is not a private thing. When you confess and you reconcile and your sins are absolved, you're not just reconciled with God, but by extension, His whole house. That's what barely anybody understands about confession, honestly. Whenever I tell people that, they love it because it's so beautiful, and it is beautiful, and it is important, and we should think about it when we go confess. Reconciling not just with God, but with His whole house, so you can come and take the food of the banquet that He has prepared for us. So brothers and sisters, today we should be very thankful for the gift of the church, the gift of the priesthood, the gift of the sacraments, all of which Jesus instituted on purpose. Because as He said in this Gospel passage today, there was more that he wanted to say to us, but we couldn't bear it. So in his wisdom, he planted seeds, and those seeds have developed over time into the church that we have today. In its human elements, mistakes get made because people are humans and they commit sins. But remember, the church is divinely instituted before anything. And it's for the sake of our holiness. It's for the sake of us to know what true love is like. It's for the sake of us to be actual, baptized, sons and daughters of God, and to flourish in that role. So if we've scattered from the body of Christ, let us focus on the love that is the Holy Spirit that was poured forth on this day of Pentecost and come back to the heart of the Father. Amen.